This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Our lesson today is the broken ones. And why, why does it matter? Picture with me, if you will, there's a man and his daughter, and they're on the seashore, and they're walking along, and the man's scanning the seashore looking for seashells, and he's picking up the whole ones, the ones without any cracks in them, the ones without chips, and he looks over at his daughter, and she's doing the exact opposite. She's picking up the broken ones, the little pieces and everything, and everything she can pick up. And when her hands get so full, she can't hold any more, she says, Daddy, the broken ones are beautiful too. Like this little girl, I believe our holy and righteous God knows the broken ones are beautiful too. In this lesson, we're going to investigate some of the lives of these people. The lives of people that God held in his hands. When we look at the aspects of these select people, you'll see there are different reasons why people are broken. Sometimes they're broken because of poor choices. Other times it could be circumstances out of your control. It might be a lifestyle or it may be a combination of all of these things. Brothers, sisters, young people, this lesson is certainly not about justification for wrongdoing. You cannot be broken without sustaining some form of damage. If you're contemplating about making a poor choice because maybe someone you know or heard about or read about made this choice and in the end it worked out okay for them, I'm going to strongly caution you not to even think like that. It's never all right to sin in any fashion it's never the same when you go back. Let's look at 2 Peter 2.2. 2. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Sin will leave scars. So let's try to imagine our first example of a broken life. Picture with me, if you will, a man, early in his life, this man made a poor choice. And we're going to go there where he's at. We're now seeing inside a cold, dark prison cell. As our eyes adjust to the dimness, we can make out a couple of figures. One is a bent and frail man, and he's shackled to the arm I'm a Roman guard. This man is dead broke. 
He's nearsighted. He's worn out. This man is the Apostle Paul. Let's look at Romans 7.24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Here the Apostle Paul has confessed and given testament to Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't have his sins tucked away. We can draw near to God with confidence. We can draw near near to God without fear. We can receive mercy and we can find grace to help us in time of need. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above all measure. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul encourages young Timothy with this solemn reminder. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. We that are Christians are all ministers. We minister to people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. Our actions, our words, either teach them what to do or what not to do. The ministry must include obeying and following the teachings of Christ. And this is not without some cost. We can be tempted or persecuted. Jesus was not free. He was tempted and broken for our transgressions. The life of brokenness goes on. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses... Samuel, David, Solomon, Jonah, Esther, Rehab, Ruth, Peter, and young Timothy. Timothy. Here Paul instructs this young man again, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm amazed at the apostle Paul. I'm amazed at the suffering he went through, the persecution. And in through all of it, if you search the scriptures, you'll find that the Apostle Paul was able to live a life of joy. And he was able to bless generations through a life that was lived obediently. Brothers and sisters, young people, men are not the only ones that were broken. They're not the only ones that God carried through brokenness. We're going to look into now the wonderful story of Esther, a victim of circumstance. Let's look at Esther 2.5. Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had carried away with Jeconah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, 
the king of Babylon carried away. And he brought up Hadassiah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. For she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together into Shushan, the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Hester was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Here as we peek into the life of Esther, we can see that God is in sovereign control of human events. Esther had no support. Not only did he provide a family for her, he, he provided a destiny that brought her into the presence of a king. Our holy and righteous God is looking for the right person to do his will. In Esther 4.14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall be enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Here Mordecai is telling Esther about a decree that has come about to destroy him, to destroy her, and the Jewish people. Not only that, I believe there's a little prophecy here in verse 14. It tells of the coming of Christ. God at this time has placed Esther as queen and she's able to do his will. When we need courage, God can give us strength to take a kingdom stand. Esther and Mordecai and the Jews fasted and prayed at Esther's request. She did as well and then she went to the king on their behalf. And it was so, when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she attained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden sepulcher that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the sepulcher. Then the king said unto her, What wilt thou, queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee unto half of the kingdom. We should never be afraid to stand up for what is right. Evil actions will eventually backfire on the ones that do them. Esther was able to deliver her people and bring about the demise of the enemy. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun, and Mordecai had written unto them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, and the Agitite, the enemy of the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast pur, that is, the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should re return on his head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. God brought about the events in Esther's life. When she was mired in a pit, Esther's life went from having no hope to having a family 
to being brought in the presence of a king, and then she became queen. Esther's motives were right. For when she was warned by her father, Mordecai, she not was only able to save her own life, but she was able to save the lives of her people. Esther was a queen that lived brokenness. Can we think of a king that lived it? In my mind, it goes to, I think of David, King David. David of the Old Testament. He was a man after man's, after God's own heart. Yet, he was a man of many sorrows. Let's look at Psalms 88. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thy ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go, <coughs> excuse me, that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. This is the man that slew the giant of the Philistine army. This was the king of Israel. His climb from a poor shepherd boy to king took an abrupt turn. His departure from God was not a long one. But because of a wrong choice, the dominoes started rapidly falling, and there was no one there to stop them. David, King David, has come to realize now how short our lives are and how our sins can cause us to pass away under the wrath of God. Let's look at Psalms 90.10. The days of our years are threescore years, and ten if by reason of strength they be fourscore years. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. This was a passage in Psalms and it was written by Moses. And he explains how short life is. And here he writes 70 years and then 80. And you may think, you know, I was reading this, I thought, well, where's the hope in that? You know, and, and uh, how can Christ be glorified in, in that type of brokenness? Uh, but David kind of, he explains it. He, he writes about it here. Psalms 32, 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity I have not hid. I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. David confessed his sin, and he received forgiveness. He knew that our holy and righteous God would still use him. After he did that, David's thoughts, if you're reading in Psalms, you'll see that his thoughts were aligned with God's, and his motives were different. As we see here in Psalms 53, 6, Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Mount Zion here is the hill that Jerusalem was built on. It was captured by King David. It's also the holy city. It is the gospel church, the heavenly Jerusalem, and it's the holy hill where Christ reigns. 
This was King David's prayer here in 53.6. We know it was answered, and it was answered with a Savior who is our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now let's dip into some prophecy here by the prophet Ezekiel. 33.1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring a sword unto the land, the people of the land will take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman. There's about ten verses here, if you will, just bear with me. I, I, believe, <clears throat> I believe there's a revelation in each verse. If we'll look at verse 3 now. If when he sees the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people not be warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I've set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at, at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we live? Say unto them, As I live, the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Are we wicked? Are we aligning our motives and our hope with God? Is it not more about our duty to tell others about Christ? Speaking of Christ... Last and certainly not least, this picture a child at the age of 12, a well-studied child. This child is teaching in the synagogue. Even in his youth, he was on a mission. His mission throughout his life was to show people the righteousness and the power of God. His mission was to save them and to warn them. So let's fast forward a few years forward now, and this child is a man. His mission now has turned into a ministry, a ministry that will begin 
after prayer and fasting for 40 days. He passed the test even when he was in his weakest moment. For that was when the devil tempted him. Matthew 4.1 Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and afterward, he hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made of bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he was tempted several times after this. But Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew them well enough to stop the devil in his tracks. If he'd have failed at this very crucial moment, if he hadn't refuted the devil, I doubt if we'd be sitting here now. And I doubt if the world, as we know it, would exist. I'm going to take a minute here and talk about the devil. Jesus was able to refute him. I'm going to talk about the devil and his deception. I heard a story about a man and a wife. This couple had saved their money for years, and they had saved it for what they believed was going to be a dream vacation, the vacation of a lifetime. This vacation from everything they learned was going to be a vacation in paradise. They told all their friends and family about it. They told them how to book this vacation. And then the time was finally there. Their airline tickets and package arrived in the mail. They flew to their destination. When they arrived at the resort, they were so excited, they practically ran up to the clerk at the desk and he had a sad look on his face. And he told them, he said, I'm sorry, but we're all booked up. And he gave them the only destination that was included in that package, and it was a motel on the completely opposite side of town. When they arrived at their second destination, they found it was a decrepit, flea-bitten motel overlooking a broken-down cemetery. The whole thing had been a scam. Their booking agent had lied to them. Their hopes and dreams of a dream vacation, a vacation in paradise, didn't exist. It turned out to be a nightmare. Even their flight return didn't exist. Oh, how the devil deceives us. He did it in the Garden of Eden. He is still doing it today. Brothers, sisters, young people, our thoughts and our actions must be by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Christ. We can't look to receive a blessing. Our hope should be as it should be to be a blessing. We'll look at here at Matthew 5, excuse me, 5.14 now. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A broken people, like David, like the Apostle Paul, like the 12-year-old that became a man that was on a mission, like the little girl that saw beauty in the broken ones, like Esther who was highly esteemed and still prayed and fasted and rescued the ones that were doomed. Yes, all of these were a shining light in their world. In God's own people, he saved only a remnant. The Jews, the children of Israel, Judah, they were almost destroyed. The holy city of Jerusalem has been broken down and looted many times. Where are you at in the scheme of things? Does your heaven exist or have you been sold a nightmare vacation? Our holy and righteous God is waiting to deliver us from our own destruction. It does require something from us. Certainly, we will not be like the bad watchman who didn't warn others and ran away before the sword was delivered. Jesus suffered on the cruel Roman cross so that all would not suffer for eternity. His body was broken and his blood was spilled for what? For the atonement of our sins. And for who? Not for himself, it was for others. It didn't stop there. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Everything hinges on his resurrection. Jesus not only had power over life, he had power over death. He defeated man's final enemy. There are many proclamations in the book of Acts that tell of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul preached it and 3,000 souls were converted to Jesus. The Holy Spirit breathed in the lives of the apostles, accounted for many souls of that first church. And you may think, well, why, why, why such a movement? Why would they do that? The apostles believed it. They were eyewitnesses. They said, this is what we saw. This is what you did to this man. Today, that same power of the Holy Spirit proceeds out of the mouth of Christ. If you want to make a change and claim that living destiny of a paradise, I want to encourage you to take that step today. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com. Or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.